We're going to keep going with our sermon series. Um, Last week, Jared kicked off the series um, of going back to the book of Exodus, going back to the Old Testament, and finding out who God is. He, He gives us the phrase, I am, as who he is. And now for the next nine weeks, we're going to dig into the sayings of Jesus. Jesus, in his own words, what does it mean for him to say, I am? And we're going to break down all of those statements um, out of the book of John. Uh, We're also going to look at one out of the book of Revelation. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, so we're going to break that one down. Um, So really looking forward as we are leading up, as we are moving forward to Easter and building momentum um, all the way up to that time. So really excited to see where this sermon series is going to go. Now, as we begin this morning, I'd like to talk about food. Now, yeah, amen, right? I mean, we love food. It's not hard to talk about food. It's something that we need every day. It's something that we yearn for. As soon as I started saying that, you're like, all right, Travis, when are you going to be done? It's lunchtime. Um, So we're already thinking about where we're going to go for lunch, what we're going to do for dinner tonight. And, And two weeks ago, we had the Super Bowl. And as you, you prepared for the Super Bowl, now, now whether you actually watched the Super Bowl, and, and some people, they didn't even watch the Super Bowl, they just were hanging out with friends, and they were eating, or they were watching it for the commercials. Anybody actually like the commercials this year? There was like a couple that were okay. But it's not like the old school commercials where you actually, you know, when you're watching football, you actually watch the game of football and then you get up whenever there's um, a a timeout and a commercial, you would go to the restroom. Well, you couldn't do that during the Super Bowl of yesteryear because you might miss the Dorito or, or some of the other commercials that were just, you know, spectacular. To break this all down for you, the reason I'm mentioning all of this about food, the Super Bowl is only number two in eating for the year. Here's what people consumed during this last Super Bowl. 1.2 billion chicken wings. Now that's enough for every American to have three apiece. Now let that sink in for a second because there's a lot of people that didn't watch the Super Bowl. That means there was a lot of people that had more than three. Okay, a lot more than three. 12.5 million pounds of bacon. 11.2 million pounds of potatoes. Did you catch that, that there was more bacon consumed than there was even potatoes? Kind of staggering there. Um, According to Cornell University, the average American eats more than 6,000 calories during the Super Bowl. And it's no coincidence that on the day after, on Monday, two weeks ago on Monday, that antacid sales went up 20%. I asked on Facebook this last week, I said, hey, um, give me your favorite restaurant. And people were like, well, are you looking for a place to eat for you because we want to tailor it right and all that? No, I wanted your favorite place. And I got some great answers for um, the best restaurants. Melting Pot. Orofino's, BJ's, The Grit. Bro, I'm fat. Anywhere with food works. Kava, my wife's kitchen. Aww. Yeah. And then um, a a lady, she and I kind of grew up together. She's a few years older than me, and she's been uh, working with youth um, for for years. Her her husband is an elder in their church, and, and she wrote down that her favorite restaurant was Hooters. 
She was joking, by the way. Um, but she just had to throw that out there. And she was like, no, 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 I, I, t- I take it back. And I said, remember, anything you say can and will be used against you in a sermon. Um, so just remember that. Always remember that. For desserts, Cheesecake Factory, Paradise Diner, Basilicos, Bravos, Key Largo for Key Lime Pie, and Allison Womax for her chocolate chip cookies. And I'm just telling you, if you have not had her chocolate chip cookies, sh- they're good. I preach is right, because I've had some, and they're really good. Um, if you were on a diet, you would come off of them for those cookies. That's all I'm saying. But have you ever noticed that even when we have the best of food, we can have the best meal possible, it never satisfies us? Because in just a short couple of hours, we're hungry again. We go to the buffet, and we eat everything on that Chinese buffet, and we're like, oh, I couldn't eat anymore. And two hours later, we're like, hey, was there any leftovers? Like, that's just the way that we work. You know, some of us are in search for something to satisfy our lives as well. It's not just food. Sometimes it is food. But we want things that will satisfy our lives as well. We try partying. We try relationships. Purchasing things. Rooting for our favorite team, sports team. And and all in all, every single one of those will let you down. You you can root for for your home team. You can root for, for your Washington Nationals. Hey, they won it this year, but we'll see what happens next year. Hey, we can root for Ohio State, but eventually they're going to let us down. I'm glad Scott's not here. I'd get a Clemson reference there. Um, but we can think of all of the different sports teams. They'll eventually let us down, right? Relationships. Eventually they will let us down. Preacher standing on the stage will let you down. But we have one thing that will take care of us. For all of eternity. And that's what I want us to focus in on. In his book, Jesus Among Other Gods, Ravi Zacharias says, With all our ingesting and consumption, our hungers are still many and our fulfillments are few. So we're going to launch in to this new sermon series called Jesus in His Own Words. And we're going to come face to face this morning with the bread of Bethlehem. You see, he is the Savior who alone can provide satisfaction for us. Some of you are experiencing spiritual hunger pains right now that nothing in this world could possibly fulfill. C.S. Lewis put it like this. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. So when we break this down, when we look at those words, I am, we look at that word I, and it comes uh, from within. It's the pronoun that means to come from within, and it's very personal. Then we come to that word am, and what, what I love about am is it's in the present tense. It's not I was, meaning past tense. It's not, I might be in the future. No, Jesus is saying, I am right here, right now. I am what you need in your life. You see, these metaphors of the Messiah are rich in meaning and are very comforting, yet there's more to them than meets the eye. 
And I hope you're ready to go deep this morning. We're going to look at John chapter 6, and we're going to break down that whole scripture before we ever even get to John 6.35. So the Greek word that is rendered, I am, normally it comes in one verb. But when Jesus breaks it down, when Jesus says, I am, it's very interesting because he actually uses two words. It's kind of redundant of what he's saying. It's basically literal meaning is I am, I am, or I, even I am. And this is the way that Exodus chapter 3 verse 14 is translated. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And every one of Jesus' phrase, when he says, I am, he is emphatically saying that he is Yahweh, that he is the great I am of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. Have you ever just been in awe of something? Maybe it's your, your, your favorite uh, movie star. Maybe it's going to a concert and getting backstage and getting to meet just that one figure. Maybe it's Garth Brooks or it's George Strait. Maybe you got backstage patches. Maybe you got to go backstage um, to be able to meet the Backstreet Boys. No judgment here. A little bit. Have you ever just been in awe of something? I remember flying over the Grand Canyon. And as I flew over the Grand Canyon, I looked down, and I'd seen it, you know, on, 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 in pictures. I'd seen it on my computer, but seeing it in person, and how grand it was, how amazing it was, you're just like, wow. I remember the first time going into the mission field. I went to Haiti. I'd seen pictures. I'd heard people tell stories of, of what it was like and how hard it was to be there. And I tried to get myself ready for it. But then you step off of the plane. You start driving and you see everything that's around. And all of your senses kick in. And you're in awe of where you're at. Just a little side note. If you have not been on the mission field. Whether it's overseas or right here in the United States. You need to go. Because hearing people talk about it, supporting your missionaries from afar, that, that's all well and good. And we need to do that. But we also need to be right there. We need to be with our hands and feet getting in the mix. Now let's admit something. Most of us focus on what we think of Jesus. And often our understanding is somewhat tainted by our experiences in the past or our expectations in the present or even in the future. Instead of looking at what he can do for us, my prayer is that we will have a better understanding of who Jesus is and what he demands out of us. I, I was struck this last week. Um, I was doing some reading and reading ahead and I came to John chapter 18. And when I come to John chapter 18, Jesus was being arrested in, in John chapter 18. And, and as the, those soldiers and the teachers and the priests and the Pharisees, as they approached Jesus, he knew what they wanted. Yet J Jesus asked them a question. He says in verse 4, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. 
drop down to verse 6. Notice what happens. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Here are these men, these soldiers that are in the presence of the great I am. But just a man standing there. They had weapons. They had, the soldiers had armor. They had their swords. They had everything that they needed. But when Jesus said, I am he, what did they do? They fell to their knees because they realized they were in the presence of God. The New Living Translation says that they all fell backward to the ground. Brothers and sisters, we should be filled with wonder and awe as we respond humbly to the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Let's not approach Jesus flippantly. Let's see Jesus for who he truly is. He's not just your BFF. He's not your homeboy. He's not somebody that you just get to hang out with on the weekends. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the great I Am. And we need to make sure that we're remembering that every single day. Now, is he those other things? Yes. Does he love you? Yes. Does he want to hang out with you? Absolutely. But we need to remember who he is. He is the Messiah. He is our Savior. You know, the absence of awesomeness and awe unfortunately describes the church in America. And I pray every single day that that never happens at Stafford County Christian Church. Tim Keller says something that is quite startling. He says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might be just worshiping an idolized version of yourself. I haven't read it yet, but I love how Paul Tripp uh, entitled his latest book, Awe, Why It Matters for Everything We Think, Say, and Do. Here's a summary of what he says. Humans are hardwired for awe. Our hearts are always captured by something. That's how God made us. But sin threatens to distract us from the glory of our creator. All too often, we stand in awe of everything but God. So, let's dig into John chapter 6. And I love what Jesus does. Jesus, in his writing or in his teaching, the way that he brings it about, he loves to start with the material. The, the things of this world, that's where he always starts in order to get us to really dig in to the spiritual. In, in John chapter 3, Jesus talks about natural birth with Nicodemus. And where does that lead to? That leads to the necessity of new birth. With the woman at the well that Jared talked about last week, Jesus started with water. He, li- he then moves on to living water. He then moves on to worship. In John chapter 6, he moves from physical hunger to a spiritual satisfaction. So before we get to the text, here's some background on bread. The first thing that we need to know about bread what it was that it is the most important meal of the day. And the most important part of the meal. Now, when we think about it, today, when we go out to eat, 
Bread comes where? At the beginning. Yeah, before you ever even order, they bring out the bread. And, and then they bring out the salad because it really doesn't matter. And, and then you get to the main part, the main... I'm teasing. It's okay. If you like salad, good. Um, I wait for the meal. I, I'm ready to dig into the meat, right? Like we get our entrees and, and usually the biggest part of our entree is the meat. Well, that wasn't the case back then. I mean, unless you're going to Texas Roadhouse, we really don't care about the bread. But back then, you see, the meat was just a side attraction. And the reason for that was, is the second thing, everything, everyone had access to bread. Those that were poor, they used barley to make their bread. If you were wealthier, you used wheat to make bread. But most everyone, almost everyone, had access to either make or or buy bread. So by using this metaphor, Jesus is saying that he is available to all. You see, back then, meat, and, and even in other parts of the world, meat wasn't readily available for everyone. So it was separate. It, it was only a part of what you may get. But Jesus here, he is saying, hey, I am available to everyone. Bread was also the means of fellowship. In that culture, when you broke bread with someone, you were friends for life. Jesus, likewise, is offering us a friendship. When we break bread, when we, at the end of this message, we're going to partake in communion. And when we partake in that communion, we are breaking bread and we are coming into fellowship with one another and with Jesus. Bread symbolizes God's presence as well. Bethlehem means the house of bread. And the temple was continually filled with something called show bread. This can be interpreted as show up bread or in the Hebrew terms face bread. The bread was heavenly, a heavenly symbol of God himself. That he had come to commune with his people. So, in the first 15 verses of, of chapter 6, we read about Jesus taking a boy's lunchable and feeding 5,000 people. And there's a few things that we can learn out of those first 15 verses. The first thing is that Jesus cares about our felt needs. Jesus cares about our felt needs. You see, he knew that these people were hungry. They had been with him all day long. They had been listening to him teach all day long. And he cared about them. He saw that they were hungry and he took care of their physical needs. Jesus cares about your physical needs today. Secondly, Jesus wanted to stretch their faith, especially the disciples' faith. When he sees all of these people, he sees that everyone is hungry. He turns and he looks right at Philip. And he says, hey, Philip, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? And he says, well, if we had this much money, we could buy enough bread for everyone just to have a bite of bread. He was really testing Philip to see what would happen. Well, Andrew, without being questioned, he sees this little boy's lunchable and he takes it and he hands it to Jesus. And Jesus takes what we have. 
You see, when we give Jesus what we have, no matter how little it is, he will multiply it for great purposes, even little. And I want you to understand that. No matter where you're at in your walk with faith, in your walk with Christ, where you're at in your faith journey, Jesus will take what you have. He actually talks about the faith of a mustard seed and how great a tree grows out of a small, tiny mustard seed. He will take what you have and turn it into something great. So don't think, well, I'm not that well learned. I don't know that many Bible verses. I don't know too much here or there. He will take what you have and he will use it. Jesus provides satisfaction as well. It's interesting that verse 11, we read there, the people ate as much as they wanted. Now that's important because what Philip say? Philip said, well, we could go gather all the bread from everywhere around and we could pay for it and we could give everybody just a bite. But this actually says that they had their fill. They were, every single person was full. Verse 12 says that they even had leftovers. You see, God is not stingy with his grace. Many times what we think, well, um, God is going to punish me if I ever mess up. And maybe you had a father figure or someone in your life that told you, well, if you do wrong, you're going to be punished. And there was no grace in it. There was no love in it. You messed up and you were punished immediately. And we take that same view of God into our lives as well. And what we have to understand is where there is truth, where there is punishment, there is also grace. And we have to always Remember that. That's very important for us to understand. Number five, Jesus takes us deeper than we're planning to go. It's very, very significant that there were 12 baskets left over. This was an object lesson for the 12 disciples to where they could truly see who Jesus is. No doubt that Jesus had the power, but it was even more than that. There's another reason for 12 baskets being left over. According to Leviticus chapter 24, verses 5 through 9 in the Old Testament, the priest put 12 loaves of fresh bread in the temple each Sabbath day. When the people saw the 12 baskets of bread, they would have thought about the, the bread as the presence of God in their life. And number six, Jesus is more than we think he is. Look at verse 14. When the people saw the signs that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. You see, during that time, there was a belief that when the Messiah came, that he would provide manna from heaven. He would provide bread just as Moses did during the time in the wilderness when the Israelites were, were lost and traveling in the, in the wilderness for, for 40 years. Jesus or God provided manna from heaven all the time for them. And so they were expecting the same thing. And they said, hey, when the Messiah comes, this is one of the signs. They were ready to make Jesus the king right there on the spot. After all, if he can do this, he can definitely overpower the Romans. They were ready. But verse 15 tells us that he withdrew to the mountainside by himself. Jesus went off. And then we come to the next miracle that we read here in chapter 6. 
the disciples, they get in the boat and they start to go over to the other side. And, and as they are heading over to Capernaum in verse 17, when they're about halfway across, this storm arises on the sea. Now, the sea isn't very big, but there were horrible storms that could come up because there was a mountain rage right behind them. The cold wind would come down off of that. It would hit the warm air that was already down there, and there would become this huge storm, and the boats would just get pummeled by the waves. And it's at the greatest fear, the greatest moment, the greatest need that Jesus performs another miracle as he walks on the water to come to them. And immediately they're scared to death, right? They're already scared that the boat is being pummeled and now all of a sudden they look out and there's a ghost coming at them. Oh no, what are we going to do? And they're scared to death of what's coming. And so they call out to Jesus and Jesus gives them comfort in verse 20. He says, it is I, don't be afraid. In other contexts, this phrase is translated, I am. Once again, we're reminded at the very presence of who Jesus is. That when we are in his presence, there is no need for us to be anxious. The crowd, they're eager to be with Jesus again. Their, their stomachs have went empty. It's the next morning, and they're hungry. So they see Jesus in Capernaum, and they all go running to find Jesus. Again, it tells you that the lake isn't that big. They were able to find Jesus. They were able to, to get to Jesus, and they find him. They saw what had happened, and they wanted another buffet. Look at verses 26 and 27. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. You know, like many of us, the people thought they needed to do some sort of work in order to receive something from God, to receive his favor. Look at verse 29. Jesus gives us this answer. This is the work of God. That you believe in him, believe in him whom he has sent. These hungry people, they actually had the nerve to ask for another sign instead of just believing. We do the same thing, don't we? We continually just ask God for things. We continually say, hey God, can you give me more? Hey God, can you take care of this need? Hey God, I need this. Hey God, can you help me? And we forget about what he did yesterday and the day before that. And how he has been there for us every step of the way. In verse 31, the crowd lays out a challenge for Jesus. Essentially, they're asking Jesus to prove himself. In their minds, Jesus provided bread one day. If you're really the Messiah, if you're really the one that is to come out of the line of the Israelites, well, Moses provided bread for 40 years. What about you? He did it for one day. That's, that, that's nothing major. Moses did it 40 years. Come on now. I love what Jesus does. Hey, I, he is so unpredictable, right? And, and he just takes what they're had and, and they think, ah, we've got him. We've trapped him. He's going to have to provide for us. 
he grabs their attention with this stunning statement in verse 32. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. God was the giver, Jesus says. It wasn't Moses. Moses didn't give you the manna. It was God that provided the manna. And you need to see that God provided me right in front of you right now. That's what he was trying to get across. Jesus then defines this true bread in verse 33. He says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Manna could only solve physical hunger. But the bread of life, the bread that God gives, it gives life to all that is everlasting. Notice the pronoun that is used here, he. It was Jesus who came down from heaven. Their appetite is now whetted in verse 34. They respond, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, verse 35, this is our verse right here. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see, the the crowd came with a one-upmanship. They said, hey, you provided one day. You need to keep providing to prove to us, show us, give us proof that you are the Messiah. Because this is what Moses did. And Jesus one-ups them and says, hey... Moses provided through God for 40 years. I'm talking eternity. I can provide something for you that will take you all the way. Again, Ravi Zacharias points out in his book, uh, Jesus Among Other Gods, that Jesus intended to lift the listeners from their barren, food-dominated existence to the recognition of the supreme hunger of life that could only be filled by a different bread. Drop down to verse 41. We read that many began to grumble about Jesus because he said that he was the bread that came down from heaven. You know, it's interesting. They're grumbling here because they wouldn't just keep providing. The Israelites grumbled at Moses back in the Old Testament. They grumbled because, hey, can can you give us something else, God? I mean, you're giving us bread, and it's kind of bland, and it's flat, and it doesn't really have a lot of flavor. Could you give us something a little extra? How about some of that cinnamon butter from from Texas Roadhouse? Can you add some of that with it? I don't think they really said that, but... You see, their problem was that they had grown too familiar with Jesus. He says... They, the, the crowd says, is this not, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Some of us are in danger of doing the same exact thing. We've just grown too familiar with Jesus. Sure, we know some Bible stories. I mean, for sure, we know the Christmas story. Most of us know the Easter story. I mean, our largest crowds will be here on Easter Sunday because we have to go. I mean, it's, it's kind of good if you go on Christmas, but 
Easter, like everybody's got to go to Easter. They kind of know the story. But we do the same exact thing. We get too familiar. We think we just have Jesus all figured out. Be careful that you don't allow what you know about him to keep you from actually knowing him. You see, the Israelites, they ate manna and were famished the next day. Jesus repeats the metaphor in verse 48. He says, I am the bread of life. He then reminds them that even though people ate manna in the desert, they actually died. Material things have a built-in mortality. I want you to understand that no matter how much exercise you do, you will die. No matter how, how good you eat, you, you can be a vegan, you can be a vegetarian, you, you can be keto, you can be whatever it is that you want to be, but eventually you will die. You may have a better life. Listen, I'm not, I'm not down in those things. I'm not saying that you should just go out and eat all of the fast food that you want. No, because you should live the best life that you have now. But you need to remember that one day these bodies will die. No matter how good you take care of them, this body is going to break down. This is what we read. Jesus says, hey, they ate the bread. They ate the manna. But every single one of those Israelites, they still died. And Jesus is saying, I've got a bread that will last forever. I have something that if you eat it, it will take you all the way in to eternity. You see, too often we'd like to take Jesus and we want to put him in our own little package, right? This nice, neat little box. And when we need Jesus, we pull him out, right? I mean, when, when things are going bad in our lives, we pull Jesus out and we go, Hey, Jesus, need you now. Oh, I got the job. Never mind. Get back in the box. It's okay. And, 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 and we get that diagnosis from the doctor and we go, Hey, Jesus, need you now. Oh, never mind. Just a scare. Get back in the box, Jesus. You know, we, we want to say that, that we give our all to Jesus. Ah, Jesus, can I hold on to this one little thing? Because it's kind of fun. What we need to do is say, hey, Jesus, here I am. I give you my all. You see, what he is saying in verse 58 is that we must take him into the very core of our being. He says, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. You see, we must believe in his finished work on the cross. We must remember that we need to receive him into our lives to have that eternal life. It's time to decide. As we, we start to bring everything together that we talked about in chapter 6, it's time to decide. You see, whenever an individual encounters Jesus, a decision has to be made. We see this in the closing verses of chapter 6. The first thing that we see is disruption. We notice that Jesus is always disrupting us. Look at verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? 
The word hard means that this teaching of Jesus being the bread of life, it's difficult to accept. This was tough for some of them to hear, and as a result, many of them wouldn't accept it. It it, it wasn't an issue that they couldn't, it was an issue that they didn't want to accept. Many times we, we think that someone just needs a little bit more information. In order to accept Jesus and know who he is, they just need more information. So we we give them more Bible verses, and we give them more tracts, and and we say, well, just come with me to this, and and do this with me, and, and if you keep learning enough, eventually then you're going to get it. And sometimes that's it. But most of the time, it's not about needing more data. It's about deciding who is going to be the Lord of your life. You, your stuff, or Jesus. In other words, the problem isn't intellectual, it's a moral issue. I mean, let's face it, many of us don't want to fully surrender our life to Jesus because we really don't want to stop doing the things that we do. But I want to tell you something. Do you know that you can be a Christian and have a lot of fun? And then remember it the next day? We, we, we try to say, well, if you're going to be a Christian, you can't have any fun. And you can't drink, and you can't play cards, and you can't dance, and you can't look like this, and you can't have tattoos, and you can't have earrings, and you can't have nose rings. Don't do that. Um, and... You do, it's okay. There's all of these things that we go, we, well, you can't, you can't, you can't. No, no, no. And we try to lay out all of these rules. And Jesus simply says, let me be the Lord of your life. There's a fine line between truth and love. It's called grace. And that's where we have to live. Are we willing to do that? Jesus wants to disrupt us. You know, and it's striking that Jesus doesn't just adjust his teaching, right? He doesn't go, you know what? I'm going to make this more palatable because there were 5,000 people there that day, right? There was 5,000 people that only included the men. And then when they get to Capernaum, the number has probably grown. We're not told the number, but... The people that saw what had happened, they probably told their friends and their family. And the next thing you know, the crowd's even larger when they get to Capernaum. And Jesus went, hey, I know what, um, they're, they're, they're not going to like what I'm about to say, but I'm going to make it a little bit um, gentle on them. And, and I'm not going to say the hard truth because they may turn and walk away. No, he speaks truth to them. He lets them know. He doesn't change it. Look at verse 61. Do you take offense at this? And in verse 62, he suggests that they wouldn't believe even if they saw him ascend into heaven with their own eyes. The real Jesus is not always easy to listen to or follow. Are you bothered by the bread of life and what he's asking you to do? Good. Do you feel like Jesus cramps your style? He does. Does it seem like his teaching is hard to accept? It is. The question now becomes, what are you going to do about him? He's given you the disruption. 
Then comes the desertion. You know, I read this and I get a little sad at this point. The crowds had listened to his teaching. They had been fed bread and fish. They followed Jesus around the lake so they could hear him more and get fed all over again. But you see, listening wasn't enough. Look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now the word disciple here, it means a follower or a student. Not necessarily a true believer, but somebody who was following after Jesus. They didn't get what they wanted, so they left lacking what they needed. Listen, I'd rather have people walk away. I'd rather have people listen to me preach and walk away because I didn't compromise the gospel than to compromise it and have a large crowd. We will keep on preaching. We will keep on teaching the fundamentals of the faith. Whether people follow or not, we will do as Jesus did. And again, it's interesting that Jesus didn't chase after them. He didn't soften the message. He allowed them to walk away. Will you walk away when things get tough? Will you bail or will you believe? But then finally we get the declaration. As Jesus looks around... He watches the crowd start to thin out. He watches as people just disperse. He looks, and in verse 67, he looks right at those 12 that were with him. And he says, do you want to go away as well? Almost a little sadness in Jesus' voice as he says this. He's watching the crowd. I mean, thousands of people just turning and walking away. And he he looks right at this small ragtag group of people and he says what about you guys do you want to go as well <laughs> i love peter many times there's there's some things that he and i we we're on the same page but this is one of those times that man peter just up there lord to whom shall we go You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's as if Peter was saying something like this, Lord, you are not easy to hang out with. You embarrass us all the time. And sometimes you downright frighten us. And we don't always understand you, yet your words are the most remarkable thing that we've ever heard. We are satisfied by you and we are held here by our desire to know more of you. We have put our faith in you. You fit the prophecies. You fulfill the predictions. You are the great I am. Where else would we go anyways? As World War II was drawing to a close, the Allied armies gathered up all of the hungry orphans. Now, these orphans, they were, they were placed in, in, in camps where they were well fed. They were taken care of. They were clothed. But despite, despite the great care that they received, they just couldn't sleep at night. They were nervous. 
they were afraid. Then finally, the camp came up with a solution. Each child was given a piece of bread to hold on to, but not to eat at bedtime. They were told to hold on to it, to not eat it, and to sleep with it. And an amazing thing happened. These orphans, they slept soundly because they knew instinctively that they would have food to eat the next day. God wants to give us bread to hold on to, but there's so much more. Jesus is the bread of life. But some of you, you're holding him at arm's length. You need to let him in. As I've told you, I, I love um, watching the Discovery Channel and the History Channel, the Animal Planet. I love watching all those shows. And, and I can't remember what show it was, but Justin and I, um, my boy, um, we've been watching a show called Man vs. Bear. And uh, literally, they try to take on in different uh, things. They try to take on a grizzly bear in strength and, and, and in all these different things. And one of them is an eating challenge. And they put out on, on this tray for the people to eat some downright nasty food. Like they put celery and um, not just celery. Well, let me finish. Celery and crickets and, and other high protein things. Um, and, and you watch these people try to eat it. And their, their goal is they get points by how much they eat before the grizzly bear is finished eating all of that stuff. And as I watched that this last week, it, it made me think of our lives. And we try to cram everything that we possibly can into our mouth. We try to cram everything that we possibly can into Jesus. Things that might look great, even taste delicious but in compared to Jesus they're nothing here in just a minute we're gonna take part in another meal tastes a lot better than things I just described we have our bread and we have our juice this bread is representative of, of Jesus body Jesus came, he lived, and he went through every single thing that you and I go through. He understands sickness, hunger, thirst, pain, the loss of loved ones. He understands what it is that you go through. So when we take of this bread, we remember that he came and he lived in human form. Then we partake of, of the juice, and it represents his blood that was spilled for us, poured out upon Calvary. As we partake of this meal, as we celebrate what Jesus did for us, I want you to remember the I am. Not that he was or what he might be, but what he is, and that is he is our Savior. So I'm going to pray, and 
Tano's going to continue to play behind me. And, and I want you to get up. When you're ready, we have a station up front, two on the sides and two in the back. And you can take of the bread and the juice. You can take it back to your seats and partake it when you're ready. Remembering his sacrifice for us. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you so very much that you came to this earth, that you gave us the amazing words of wisdom, that you said that I am the bread of life, that we will never hunger again, not physical hunger pains, but spiritually we will be filled with you every single day. And Father, as we partake of this bread and this juice, we are reminded that you lived, that your son died for us, and that he made the ultimate sacrifice so that we could live forever with you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. As we bring everything to a conclusion this afternoon, who is the Lord of your life? Do you want things of this world to always consume you and lead you? Or do you want to turn your life over to the one who will give you eternal life? And if you don't know that concept or what that looks like of, of to give your life over to him, I want you to know that you can come to the back and, and I would love to talk to you about what that means to allow him to be the Lord of your life for all of eternity. For some of you, you may be struggling with one of those things right now. You're like, Travis, there's other things that are lording over me. Many different things that it possibly could be. And, and you want to know how to just get rid of it. I'm going to be in the back and I would love to, to talk with you, um, to pray with you help you find the direction that you need to go in to just listen but whatever decision you have to make will you make it as we continue our worship please stand